Welcome to the Hello Mornings podcast, where our goal is to inspire and equip you to build a grace-filled, life-giving morning routine. My name is Kat Lee, and today, y'all, we are joined by Katie Davis. She's the author of Kisses from Katie, and if you don't know her story, basically she, as a teenager, traveled to Uganda fell in love with the people there and started an incredible ministry that serves children's physical, educational, and spiritual needs. And she also adopted 13 children by the time she was 23. What? I have been honestly so inspired by Katie's story over the years, and I even mentioned her in my book. And so it's just a huge, huge honor to have her join us today. Now, speaking of my book, the Hello Mornings book, which I'm so excited about and can't wait to share with you, I wanted to let you know that you can actually download one of the most emotional and powerful chapters of the book for free right now. You can just go to hellomornings.org forward slash book and download that chapter. Chapter one is really about God's incredible story of redemption in my own life, but also about the story that he wants to redeem in your life. And I have been told that I should give you fair warning that the chapter might make you both cry, ugly cry, and laugh out loud. So you might want to have some tissues handy and maybe read in privacy. I don't know. That's what I've been told. But you know, it's not just a story or pretty words. The chapter also gets super practical, and I outline a very simple life-changing tool that you can get started with for your mornings right there in chapter one, because my heart with this book is that it wouldn't just be something that you read, but something that impacts and changes your life. So go to hellomornings.org forward slash book, get that first chapter, and if you like it, you can also pre-order the Hello Mornings book anywhere you buy books, and it releases in just a few weeks on December the 5th. So thank you so much. I'm really, really looking forward to giving this tool to you. Okay, so let's get chatting with Katie Davis, and she's going to share her own amazing story, as well as what her mornings look like. And there is so much we can glean from her powerful life story and just the way that she loves and follows Jesus morning by morning. Hey, Katie, thank you so much for being on the Hello Mornings podcast. Hi, Kat. It's my pleasure. So we are chatting from opposite sides of the world right now, which I find fascinating. Yeah, technology is amazing. (laughs) Right? So tell us a little bit about you for listeners who may not be familiar with you and where you're talking to us from. Okay. Well, I'm Katie, and I am speaking to you from Uganda, which is my home. Um, I live here with my husband and our 14 children. We have 13 daughters and one son, and all of our daughters are adopted. I love it. So you sound young, um, and you have 14 children. So let's go back a little bit into your story. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if those of you listening, if you have not read her first book, Kisses from Katie, just go do that. I, I've read it. I've had both of my daughters read it and they loved it. I actually was looking for Katie's new book so that I could get ready for the interview and I had to go steal it out of my daughter's room. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely a book to read, but for just a short little synopsis, uh, can you take us a little bit about how you ended up in Uganda? Because you started out in Nashville, right? Yes, I had come to Uganda on a short-term mission trip with my mom when I was 18 and just fell in love with the people and the culture here and really just felt God put in my heart a desire to come back. So I moved back here when I graduated from high school, and my intention was to be here for a year. I had found an orphanage to volunteer at. I was going to teach kindergarten 
for a year at this orphanage. And so I came back here with a commitment to be here for that period of time and just try to help out this Ugandan pastor and the orphanage that he had opened. Um, I was surprised by a lot of the things that I learned in my first year here. Probably one of the most surprising was the realization that about 80% of children in orphanages in Uganda actually have at least one living parent. And so a lot of the children that I was serving at the orphanage actually had parents who would come to visit them or who they would go to visit. And I just found it so sad that these children were growing up in an institution when their parents were living right around the corner. And that it's just because of poverty. Um, you know, the financial burdens become so great for parents that they feel like they have to give their children to institutional life or to send them to work so that they can make ends meet. And school is one of the biggest expenses for families here. So one of the biggest hurdles for families is sending children to school. And when they can't do that, they often will look for um, some kind of program, often an orphanage that they can send their children to so that they'll be able to go to school. And so I, I was really burdened by that and began to pray through, you know, what God would have me do. And he brought two little girls whose grandmother had been thinking about maybe sending them to the streets to beg or bringing them to the orphanage because she couldn't afford their schooling. And I began to pay for their schooling myself. And as I told this story to my parents and even friends from back home, the unanimous response was, wow, we'd love to be involved in something like that. Or how can we help? And so um, within the next six months, we had 40 children who we were sending to school, most of them for the first time ever. Um, and in doing so, trying to keep them with their biological families. So today, um, Amazima is the name of our ministry, and we send about 600 children to school. Wow. We have a sponsorship program that um, provides them with their education and some medical care and some nutritional support. The most important thing that we provide for them is discipleship. Every child in our program is assigned a mentor who is a social worker on our staff, and they spend time with the children both during their lunch break at school, but also in their homes after school. They get to know the child's family, and they do Bible studies with them and help kind of counsel them through, you know, all different kinds of life issues. But our goal is really to see these people come to a saving faith in Christ and be a generation of children that grow up to change their country and, and even the world for the gospel. I love it. So I'm curious to know what impact does education have on these kids' lives? Like how are their lives going to be different as compared to their, their parents' lives? I think, um, I mean, I think it's twofold. There definitely is a need for creative thinking, for critical thinking, for problem-solving skills. Um, and I think that we are equipping these children through education to be people who grow uh, into leaders, people who grow to be problem solvers, and therefore people who grow to be world changers. Of course, the, the bigger component to it is that they would be people who know Jesus and therefore uh, desire to love and serve others wholeheartedly and with the same compassion that Christ showed. And this year we actually opened probably our biggest project yet. We opened our secondary school, which is what we call high school here in Uganda. And so our goal behind the high school is, um, 
a lot of children here to get a good education in high school are sent to boarding school because a lot of the good schools are in the capital city, which is about two hours from where I live. And so we felt like we were kind of losing relationship with these children at a really critical juncture in their lives. You know, they're just becoming teenagers and then they're getting sent away to school. So there's kind of this uh, severance in relationship between not only them and their parents or family, but also between them and their mentor and our staff who are really trying to pour into them as well. And so we opened this secondary school with the goal to raise up individuals of, of virtue, but um, definitely individuals who desire to be leaders and to be servants at the same time in their communities. So we have 72 students this year. It's our first year open, and it has just been unbelievable to see the change in these kids. They have confidence. Um, they're, they're building such amazing character. And I really do believe that they are going to be a generation of leaders that go into the world and love and serve and change the future of Uganda. I love that you're able to see their journey from kind of start to finish, to, to be able to take them on when they're young and bring them all the way through um, to secondary school. Now, so you moved to Uganda when you were 19, is that correct? Yes. And so you didn't go to college and learn, you know, you didn't go to business school and learn how to start a nonprofit. You didn't go to um, seminary and learn all the things that it's required. What is it about you that, I don't know, enabled you, I guess, to, I mean, obviously Jesus, but um, I'm just so curious, you know, at 19, that's not what the average American kid is thinking about. <laughs> of course. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's definitely God's grace that just um, has equipped me along the way. And I've made, obviously, also a ton of mistakes, but he's been gracious to allow me to learn from those mistakes and, and do better next time because of it. Um, God has also given us a really, really incredible staff. We have excellent Ugandans on our staff. Our I mean, the majority of our staff obviously is Ugandan. And then we have a handful of expats on our staff as well um, with all different kinds of trainings and backgrounds. So it certainly is not a one-man show. And I'm very blessed by all the expertise and all the skills that God has put around me as well. So part of what we talk about here at Helen Mornings is just building a morning routine, building the habits of meeting with Jesus every day. Um, and, and, and I think one thing that stops so many people is that they get going for a little while and then they get sick or something and suddenly they, they miss a day and then they feel like, oh, I just messed up. And it's so hard to move past that perceived failure in the process mm -hmm. of starting this organization, in the process of raising so many kids, you've encountered failure and you talked about how you just learn from it. How, what, what goes through your mind? How do you keep going and how do you let the failure not knock you down or keep you down? Well, I think um, definitely, you know, when you're when you're thinking of children or even running an organization, part of the reason you can't let the failure knock you down is because you have all these people looking at you like, okay, what's, what's next, mom? You know, um, so I, I mean, I think part of the desire to just get up and go is is almost out of necessity, right? You have to keep trying because you have people counting on you to keep trying. Um, I also think too, just God's grace has been so very apparent to me almost 
almost as if the more and more I fail, the more I understand his, his grace for me and his love for me. And I think that does, that does keep me going. You know, God is not, he's not condemning us when we mess up or miss a step or forget a day or have these failures, you know, he's encouraging us and he's, he's desirous of us to come back to him and seek him more and, um, seek his wisdom and try again. And so I think that is what keeps me motivated most of all. So in the process of starting this organization, you adopted 13 girls. Was that a gradual process? Was that a, you know, over the course of several years? And then what did your parents think about that? Um, it was over the course of, of several years. The first, my first three daughters came to me and they had lost their grandmother and they didn't have anyone else to go and stay with. And so I originally agreed to foster them short term while we sought out other options. And, um, it became apparent rather quickly that there weren't other family members who could step up and take care of them. And so, um, you know, just through, through a lot of prayer, God confirmed for me that they actually were to be my family and that I would, um, go on to adopt them. And so I began that paperwork process, which takes, um, I mean, it can take anywhere from three to four years in Uganda to finalize that completely. So it's quite, it's quite a long process to go from foster parent to adoptive parent. And then over the years, um, God just brought more children in similar situations. Most of our girls are larger sibling sets that God brought into my home, you know, for a season that I thought might be temporary while we sought out other options. And then when God made it apparent that there weren't other options, they stayed. Wow. So when did you, you know, at what point did you, I mean, I guess initially, maybe even you felt overwhelmed. I know I have three kids and sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, I am totally, this is, this is no longer man-to-man defense. This is zone defense. And it's just, you know, my (laughs) husband and it's just three kids, 13 daughters. And uh, you, you, the way that you live your life, just always bringing people into your home and loving and serving, um, how do you not get overwhelmed or how do you deal with the overwhelm? I think I definitely do get overwhelmed. It's so funny. You know, you look back at certain seasons of your life and think, whoa, how did we even do that? <laughs> how did, we did what? How did we survive? Um, and I do think, you know, most of it is just God giving what, giving you what you need day by day. And that certainly comes with a conscious effort of recognizing him and trying to find him in those overwhelming moments and asking, you know, okay, God, like, how do you see this situation or what would you have me do here? And I I think his answer is always pretty simple, right? He would always have us love the person in front of us. He would always have us serve the person, um, as we would like to be served. And I, I think that kind of constant reminder has been, really helpful to me. And, you know, then there are days where you are just plain overwhelmed. And, and there are days when I would come and come in my bathroom and shut the door and just sit for a minute, you know, and say, okay, God, I just need you. I need you to give me the strength to keep going here. So one thing I, I was talking with a friend last night who had actually just moved here. I live in Waco, Texas uh, from Pakistan, and they've been missionaries there for, for several years. And she was just talking about the pace of life here and how life is so, it's just very, very different from where she came from. And 
I know some people listening might think, okay, well, first of all, this is Katie Davis, Katie Davis Majors. And, you know, her life is so different from mine. And maybe she's just special. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, how... I would love to to know kind of your thoughts or what what are the things that are kind of universally the same between the way that you live life or the way that life works here in America and the way that life works there and then I have another question kind of after you you answer that like are we are we really that different obviously there's differences but what are what are the things that are kind of the same and maybe universal yeah, I, I do think you're right in that the pace of life is is very different. It just doesn't feel quite as cluttered with all these many, many things that we have to go and do. There just aren't as many options. But also there are certainly so many similarities. You know, I always think I always think it's so funny when you say something like you said in your question, like, oh my goodness, well she's Katie Davis major, so she's just different than me, or she's just special like that, or she just has this extra measure of something because that's totally not true. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the same as pretty much every mom that's probably listening to this. And I, you know, I think people would be surprised to know just how normal our day looks like, yeah, it's a lot more people, but I still, you know, get up and we get everybody breakfast and kind of like chaotically shuffle people out the door for school. (laughs) And then, um, you know, I take a few minutes to try to get life in order once people have gone off to school and left their things all over the couch and all over the floor and all over the dining table. Um, and then, you know, around four, start making dinner so that it's ready to be on the stove when everybody gets home from school and the chaos ensues there. I mean, I think life is, is pretty similar as, probably any parent would find it. Mm-hmm. So one thing that my friend from Pakistan mentioned is just that how there it was so much more relationally centered, whereas here it's a lot more kind of like achievement schedule centered. Is it the same way in Uganda, more relationally, com, you know, community centered? Absolutely. And that's one of the most beautiful things I think I've learned from the Ugandan people and the Ugandan culture is that it's so relational. You know, I used to almost find it frustrating that people really expected that if they come to your house, that you're just going to kind of drop everything that you're doing and sit and talk with them, you know, maybe for hours. Um, and in my American, very schedule goal oriented mind, it feels like, no, I can't stop what I'm doing to talk to you because I have to do this and this and this, and I planned to do this and this and this. Um, and there's certainly a balance, but I think it's just, it's really beautiful that the focus of this culture is on people and just spending time with people rather than all the things that we need to get done. Have you kind of, how how did you make that transition? Cause to me, that sounds that sounds really stressful because I do live in this kind of go, go, go culture. And then I tend to be that sort of person. I like having a schedule for the day. And right now I'm homeschooling one of my kids. And so my schedule is not necessarily going according to what I'm, I'm planning. And, you know, when you live in a culture where people can just stop by at any time of day, and and like you said, want to sit down and, and talk with you, how did you, how did you make that switch from, the American mindset to, or not, you know, from the, you know, productivity mindset to the relational mindset? I mean, it's been a hard and kind of slow transition for me. Um, 
I have homeschooled for most of my time here, at least some of my kids. I actually only have three of them at home right now, and that's the smallest number um, that I've ever had in homeschool since I've, you know, since I've been a mom. Um, but, but still, you know, it's this funny balance of like, okay, I do actually need to accomplish some things. Like they have to learn some stuff for sure. Um, so we have to get at least part of the school day done, but also wanting to be flexible because I so, I so desire what I see in this culture, which is an adaptability and a willingness to engage with people and put people before tasks. And I, I mean, I, I really think we see that in Jesus a lot. I think if we look at Jesus's life, he was often stopped on his way to go somewhere or on his way to do something. He was often stopped and, um, he did pause and he did engage with the crowd or the person who was speaking to him. And so I think that has given me a lot of motivation to really kind of examine my life and say like, okay, what of this, you know, what of this productivity mindset in me is helpful and, and what of it is cultural, but, but not Christ-like that I need to kind of get rid of. And ultimately I think I care more about what kind of people my, my children are becoming than I do like what I get done in the day. And so that also gives me motivation to think like, okay, they will learn a lot as well from watching me be able to be flexible and be able to, um, really put other people above myself and saying like, okay, you are here and you are more important than the thing I needed to get done. Mm -hmm. So with 14 kids, I would imagine you know, every day is a little bit different. What does your morning typically look like? Well, I think it varies by season as well. Right now, I feel like we are in kind of a good routine. School has started back up, which always helps with routine and kind of scheduling. You know, I love summer break and it's so much fun. And I am so sad when my kids who go off to school really have to leave and be gone for the whole day. But I also definitely crave that routine and that schedule. Yes. Absolutely. So right now, um, our 16 month old wakes up first. And so he, he wakes me up and, um, usually just babbling in his crib. And so I usually get him and take him out to the living room and get him his cup of milk. And then I'm able to sit and kind of read my Bible for that first little bit while it's still still and quiet. And that, you know, that can last for five minutes. If I'm really lucky, it can last for a whole half hour. But at some point during that time, somebody will come and sit on the couch with me or start running through the room or be getting ready their things for school or scrambling mom. Have you seen my, this, or have you seen my, that, or, um, my, my husband's really gracious and gets up and makes breakfast. So I usually do just sit on the couch during that whole scramble. Um, so it's a, it's a, it can be a bit of a distracted time or I can really zone in on what I'm reading and focus. It just kind of depends on the day. And then, um, you know, after about 30 minutes of that, everybody is having breakfast. And so I'll join them before they head off for school. And then we have, um, our children are going to two different schools currently, the ones who aren't homeschooled. So kind of the first group leaves. And then a few minutes later, the second group leaves. And then it's just me and the little guys at home. And so we kind of get breakfast cleaned up and squared away and jump into our school day, which I've usually planned. I try to plan for most of our school on Sunday afternoon so that I have already kind of a good plan for the school day by the time we get there. 
What I love about what you just shared is it it sounds so much like like your your time with the Lord in the morning when you said that, you know, you sit down with your son and you read and sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's longer. And you just said that factually. Whereas, you know, <laughs> as, as as we work with people and try to help them, you know, just get that their their time with the Lord doesn't have to be this legalistic, I've got to read the exact number of chapters on my list or else it's you know it's a fail. Uh, it sounds so much like the culture that you live in versus the culture here, that it's about the relationship. It's about, you know, just getting in his word, just reading with however much time that you have or you don't have and just making the time for it instead of being like, okay, got to check the things off of the list. And um, I just love how that's reflected in, in what you just shared. So what do you do for your time with the Lord? Is it, do you sit down and read? Do you journal? Um, do you have a specific plan for the way that you pray or is it really just fluid throughout the day? Yeah, it, it really varies. I think, um, you know, <laughs> you're right. I, I actually, my personality, I think I tend to be a little more legalistic and more kind of, okay, check that off, check that off, check that off. So I, I can find myself in a tendency to, make my time in the word, something to just accomplish, you know, just get it done. But I really learned over the years, you know, I think, I think God is honored by our desire to be with him. And so I don't think it's about, I got 30 minutes or I got five minutes. I don't think it's about, I got through three chapters, you know, that's not, God knows what his word says. He doesn't need (laughs) us to check it off for his sake. You know, he desires relationship with us and he gives us his word as like this amazing gift. And so of course he's pleased with any amount of time that we desire to spend with him um, because it's our desire to be with him that he loves, you know? And so I I think um, I I have to remind myself of that. It's just, it's like a close friend, you know, you'll take the time that you can get because you're excited to see your friend and you're excited to talk to your friend and you're excited to listen to your friend. Um, My, my time looks different. I, I usually do have a specific book that I'm reading through, um, which right now is Ephesians. And I finished that this morning. So I guess Philippians will be next. Um, and I do, I also really like to start the day in Psalms. So usually depending on time, I'll, I'll pick out a few of the Psalms. And then one of my favorite things to do is to pick out something from the Psalms about God and his character that I can kind of repeat to myself throughout the day, um, or even repeat to him throughout the day. So, For example, Psalm 63 says your love is better than life. And so that's a phrase that I can pretty easily pick out about God and his character and say, okay, God's love is better than life. And then that's something that I'll repeat to myself throughout the day or even pray back to God throughout the day as I pause. And um, I find that my prayer really is kind of this fluid, ongoing conversation. You know, sometimes it's as simple as, okay, God, help, (laughs) you know, help me with this child or help me with this relationship or help me with this difficult situation. And it just ends there. Or other times, you know, I have a little bit more of a space carved out while I'm maybe folding a big pile of laundry or cooking dinner where I feel like I can delve more into conversation and have more time to listen. But, um, it's definitely not something that is contained only in that first part of the day or only at the end of the day. It's more more just like a conversation with a good friend that just continues. 
I love that. You know, I feel like, I almost feel like there's a tendency to just really compartmentalize our faith here. And it's so easy to do, to to do the the Bible study or whatever and check it off and then go about our day and not really even think about Him until the next morning. And, uh, you know, in, as I was reading your book, I, I love just all the, the little things that you do. Uh, I mean, obviously, so, so here, I think this is, this is something also, you know, it seemed like, okay, as I'm reading your book, it feels like, you know, daily you're encountering these things that would be, you know, a once in a lifetime thing that I would encounter here in America. Like, you know, I'm not changing somebody's burnt leg dressings every single day and, 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 and just all these different things that you encounter that just sort of push you to Jesus because you're, it's so beyond what you're capable of. And I, I feel like in my day-to-day life, relatively, you know, everything is easy. I'm not pushed to him. And I would feel a lot of people listening would feel the same way, you know? Um, and so how, how would you, I guess, recommend, or how do you draw near to him when life isn't pushing you towards him? That's a great question. Um, Goodness. I mean, yeah, I certainly experience times when I feel like life really is pushing me towards him, but you know, there are a lot of other times that just probably don't make it in the book because they're less interesting (laughs) where nothing, nothing unusual really is happening. Right. And I think, um, it's very easy to kind of find, find myself drifting a little in those times. It's almost like, I'm not in such desperate need and because I'm not desperate taking out time with him as much. So it definitely is more of a discipline in those times to still be consistent in reaching out to him and not just wait until it's a crisis moment. And it's like, Oh, okay, God, now I really need you. Um, but you know, I, I think it's just amazing to me that to know that God loves us even in our mundane, even in our ordinary every day. Um, and he desires relationship with us even there. And so I think just that knowledge over the years is what, you know, what pushes me to him, even when there's not a difficult circumstance is just knowing that God loves me and he desires that time with me. Now, I know that in your book, you talk about just these post-it notes that you would put up around your kitchen. What are some other little anchors that you use just throughout your day, maybe in some seasons and not in other seasons that help you just to walk with him throughout the day that, that help you have those little reminders? Yeah, the post-it notes were a big one for me for about a year and a half. Um, I would write down scripture and things that I was thankful for on those post-its and just stick them everywhere. I, I was in a season where I was really struggling to be thankful and really struggling to feel like God noticed me or heard my prayers. And so um, to write down the things that I saw that he was blessing me with was really helpful, I think, to open my eyes just to his goodness and to say like, okay, you cannot deny that God loves you as you're listing down all the things that he's blessed you with, you know, (laughs) that, that doesn't go together. And so there were, um, 
sticky notes that just lined my walls of all the different things that he'd given me and different scripture that he was bringing to mind. Um, definitely journaling and writing has been a big one for me. Um, it helps me focus for sure. Sometimes when I feel like I, I'm not being very focused in prayer, I'll, I'll try to write it out because that just really helps keep me focused. But also I, I feel like oftentimes as I'm writing and praying, it's almost as if God kind of imparts the answer on me and I write it out before even realizing that that is what he said. So in some ways, writing has been like a really good way for me to also just listen to God and what he's saying. And then um, another one that's big for me is worship. I just, I feel like worship really, I really feel his presence there. And so sometimes when I'm feeling a bit stuck, I'll just turn on some good worship music and sit for a little while and and not try to talk and not try to sing along, but just try to sit and listen and wait for God to maybe speak something to me, whether that would be through the lyrics of the song or just kind of the spirit impressing something upon my heart. I feel like um, that just really helps me focus on him. Do you have a current favorite worship song, album, artist, whatever? Yes, there is. Uh, it's it's not actually that recent, I don't think. I think it's Phil Wickham's Sing Along album. Um, That's and my I could, favorite. Really? Um, I could just have uh, that on repeat probably forever. And I know that yes. everybody who lives in my house is kind of thinking like, okay, mom. Could you get um, some new yeah. music? But it, it's my favorite. Absolutely. It is so beautiful. Our families could commiserate. It's the only thing I played on our vacation. We took like a, I don't know, we were probably in the car for like 70 hours. It was a massive road trip. <laughs> That's pretty much all that was played. Now, if you're listening and you're like, what is this album? So it, Phil Wickham, it's a sing-along album. So it that sounds that sounds misleading. It's not a sing-along. There's not like a bouncing little <laughs> red ball. That sounds yeah. little kidding. <laughs> right. No, it's a worship album. And what's amazing, it's it's him. And I, I'm supposed it was recorded at a church or something. And it's just him and his guitar. And it is amazing and so worshipful. And I absolutely, absolutely love it. There's, I think there's three of them three sing-along albums. So um, if you're listening, go get those. They are truly my favorite. I love them. Um, yeah. Well, you have good oh, taste in awesome. music. Yeah, I love them too. So, so, so beautiful. It's amazing. You know, all, all the all the effort that can go into creating an album, you know, all kinds of music are wonderful and a blessing, but there's just something about... Um, just somebody worshiping Jesus, just a person and their guitar and a microphone. And I'm sure there's more that went into it, but it's such a powerful album. I love it. Um, okay. So do you journal then? I know you write on sticky notes. Do you journal as well? I do. Yeah. Uh, this is a sort of practical dorky question, but the, um, office supply person in me wants to know if you have favorite pens or favorite notebook that you write in. Ooh, I don't have favorite pens, but I often end up writing with a G207 pen because my husband has favorite pens Ah. and I just can't ever find a pen. (laughs) (laughs) So I end up using his pens a lot. Um, And then I do love moleskin notebooks, Mm -hmm. the kind of smaller one. Mm -hmm. But it has to be the one with the lined paper because I'm not a straight writer. So sometimes I have accidentally gotten the ones with the unlined paper and it's just 
I just don't, stressful. I don't like the way it looks when I write on the unlined paper. And then I'm, you know, worried about the fact that it looks so messy. So I, you know, I hear about those all the time and I really want to like them. And I've bought several of them actually, and then started them. But for some reason, it stresses me out a little bit because I can't tear, you know, it's not, it's not a spiral notebook. So does it ever stress you out to start a notebook or is that just my little weird quirk? Uh, yeah, for me, it doesn't really it's, me. it's my little weird quirk. Okay. <laughs> we'll, move, we'll move on from there. But no, it, it, um, there might be other people listening who can relate to this. For some reason, sure. it totally stresses me out because it's this beautiful notebook and they're also not super cheap. And I'm like, okay, what I put in here has to be worthy of these pages. <laughs> and so it totally stresses me out. So I actually use spiral notebooks because for some reason you know, I can actually start writing on them because I'm like, eh, I can just get another one. They're 50 cents. So if you struggle with that, there you go. If you want a beautiful notebook, those are awesome. I I have one that I've written in for a while sporadically, and I just love the way the paper ages in those moleskin journals. And and I've seen pictures of people who have just them lined up in in a shelf from, you know, years of journaling. And you know, I, that's just like beautiful to me. Just these worn journals full of, full of words. I love it. Um, well, I think that's maybe why I like them so much. Cause I have this kind of oval shaped basket that I have them all in, but now, I mean, from years and years of journaling, it's full. So it actually, it's pretty, and it kind of feels like an accomplishment to like put a new notebook in the basket. Oh, I bet. What a treasure too for your kids. Although I don't know, I don't know if you're like this at all, but you know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I have these journals, treasures for children. Wait, I don't think I want them to read them. <laughs> Oh yeah. I definitely, when you said that, that was my first thought was like, what? No, no, nobody's allowed to touch them. (laughs) They can't read them. Okay. So you have a very busy life. You have, you know, a a large family, you have a ministry that you help run. How do you keep it all together? If, If we're getting into the practicals of planning our day, you know, do you sit down when you're holding your baby after you do your, your reading your Bible or eating breakfast, do you have like a to do list that you keep? How do you, how do you kind of see the overview of your day? I'm honestly not a very organized person. <laughs> um, so this is a difficult question for me. I, I mean, I do kind of go through mentally in the morning what I have that day, which um, some days it's just homeschool, which those are nice days. But other days, you know, there is ministry stuff going on in the afternoon that we need to get to after school or we need to kind of try to do school in a, a bit of a smaller time frame so that I can get to a ministry meeting or something like that. So I do kind of sit and kind of mentally think through um, the day and you know, where I need to be and what time that'll need to be so that I can figure out how much school to do. And also so that I can figure out what we're going to do for dinner. Because when you have a family of 16 people, you have to start thinking about dinner right about as soon as you wake up. (laughs) Um, and honestly, like a lot of our day happens around how much dinner prep will need to happen. Or like, do we need to chop all those vegetables before we head out? Or can we do it as soon as we get back or, you know, how much time is this going to take to cook? Um, so I definitely am thinking through kind of all of those things in the morning, but I was just laughing with a friend today actually, because she was talking to me about how she kind of plans out the week 
all at one time. And I was, I was laughing and telling her like, Oh my goodness. I only, I like, I have to do that once every single day. I could never do it. <laughs> so do you keep that list in your head? Do you write it down on paper? Um, I mostly keep it in my head. If it's a meeting or something important that I need to not miss, I'll set a reminder on my phone and usually have it go off around when I wake up in the morning so that I can kind of like have it in my brain right away. Like, Oh yeah, you have that meeting at two or this person has a dentist appointment at this time. Um, and then sometimes if it's, if it's really important, like a dentist appointment, I also will write it somewhere else where I can see it like on a piece of paper on the fridge or something. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not my strong point is the whole calendar issue. I once took my daughter to, it, it was my oldest daughter. So it was our family's very first like big birthday party and it was a princess party. And I took her to it, to the house that it was at and there was nobody else there. And I was like, huh, <laughs> I guess I'm early. And so I texted a friend and I said, was the party at two or maybe it was at three? And she texted back. And she's like, it was at um, two yesterday. <laughs> No, my daughter was in her little princess outfit and I totally missed it. So I have learned that I cannot trust my brain for anything involving the calendar. So I have to, I have to write it down. I have to have it, have to write it down on a calendar or something, you know, on my phone, whatever. Um, Okay. So, so here's, here's something that I'm curious about. If you just keep this mental list, how did, how did, what did it look like when you started Okay, tell me how to say it again, because all these years I've said it differently. And then I think just the other day I heard something and, and they pronounced the name of your organization. I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm saying that wrong. <sighs> yeah, it's Amazima. It's Amazima. actually the Uganda word meaning truth. But a lot of people say Amazima because it kind of looks like the beginning of the word amazing, I think. Okay, um, well, I'm just a quirky wheel because I, I was pronouncing it Amazima. And so <laughs> I wasn't doing oh, it the right way. You were way. closer then. You were closer than most. You just had like the emphasis off a little bit. Okay, Amazima. Okay. Awesome. Um, so how did you start an organization by keeping a mental list? (laughs) Well, I mean, when I started it, it was pretty small and I didn't have children yet. So I think my mental capacity was, um, better. (laughs) You know, your mom, it's like your brain just kind of turns to mush or something. I don't know. I feel like it just gets worse and worse. Um, and I had, you know, I had a small team. I had three people, that were helping me out originally that eventually became like our first staff members, but they just lived like right in the same village that I was living in. So we saw each other daily. So it wasn't, I don't know. I didn't feel like it was a time to keep up with. And then pretty quickly, um, you know, you realize what your strengths and your weaknesses are. So pretty quickly, as far as organizational stuff went, it became somebody else's job to keep track of meetings and things and, and timing. And, um, even still, like my, my staff just know like, okay, text Katie and remind her that there's a meeting in an hour or, you know, somebody texted me and said like, okay, do you remember you have interviews tonight? Make sure you get on and do them. (laughs) So I I think I just, I don't know that it's any strength of mine. I just, I, I keep good people around me. Yeah. That's what I have to do. That's a strength in and of itself, just to recognize what is a strength and what is not a strength and then bringing those people to fill in those gaps. Uh, So one thing that I just really, really love about you is just your faith in action. Like you, 
it, it's almost hard to interview you because unlike here, what I see so often about just this compartmentalization, I don't feel like I can pull things out because it's all so woven together. Everything that you do and everything um, that you are and the way that, you know, at least from your books, the, the way that you interact with life, it's all just, you know, centered on Jesus, and uh, which is what we all long for and, and strive for. Do you ever find it hard when you come back to the States? Um, so is it, is it different? Is it, is it weird for you? Um, if you come back and, and like church here or anything, is that different? I'm curious. It's definitely weird. I, I mean, honestly, I haven't been to the States in two years now. Um, and even then I think we were there for like 10 days. So I don't, I don't really spend much time in the States, honestly. And so I think that is the weirdest part of it is it just, it feels so different from life here. And it's just not what I'm accustomed to now. You know, I've, I've been living in Uganda for 10 years. And so I've spent basically my entire adult life here. Um, but it's definitely, I, I think the pace of life is very different. Um, it's a lot quicker in the States and it feels a lot more isolating. Mm -hmm. Um, several years ago, I traveled to the States with a friend of mine from here. Her son needed surgery. And so they traveled back to the States with me and stayed with my parents. And they even actually ended up staying there after I left because his surgeries weren't finished. But I remember, um, walking through the neighborhood with her and there were a ton of big houses with beautifully manicured yards. And she said, Oh, well, where are all the people? Mm. Um, and I kind of laughed at that because here all of life just happens outside, you know, people's houses are very small. And so you do your laundry outside and you hang it up to dry outside and you bathe your baby in the bucket outside and everybody cooks outside and you just run around outside. Um, and so I think it was strange to her to see so many houses, but not so many people. But I, I do kind of feel like that sometimes when I'm in the, my, in the States is that we're in our own house and then we get in our own car and we drive to the store and then at the store, you know, maybe we're on our phone or maybe we have headphones in, or maybe we're just doing our own thing and a little bit, um, a little bit oblivious to what's going on. And then we get back in our car and then we go back to our house and it just, um, it seems very isolating when we are used to living in like such community with just, you know, other people's kids in the yard all the time and kind of this revolving door and people in and out. I mean, like, I can't think of a time at my house when other than like when we go to bed at night, when we ever have to lock up because there is always someone here. Like, even if I'm not home, like somebody will be here. Um, so yeah, def definitely a different, a different feeling for sure. So as I was thinking about your two books, Kisses from Katie and then your new book, Daring to Hope, uh, it felt a little bit like Kisses from Katie is kind of the, I don't know if I think of kind of a 
I mean, I don't know if a mountain is the right term, but you know, it's this, this story of your life and, 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 and you're starting this amazing organization and adopting these girls. And it's kind of, you know, all is this, this ends up on this kind of this high. And then daring to hope is a little bit more of the other side of that mountain, you know, kind of the, the struggle, but then what you learn about the Lord in the process of it. And my husband actually walked through the living room and he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm crying. I'm crying right now. <laughs> um, what moved you to write this book? And I can only imagine how hard it was to write. Take us into that journey a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously it took me like seven years <laughs> between the last book to write this one. Um, so it wasn't an easy process. Um, I think what was really beautiful about this book is that I feel like God kind of took me away or, or hid me away in a sense in this very difficult season that nobody could really understand. And he taught me all these really beautiful things about himself during that season. And at the time when he was teaching them to me and speaking them to me, I really do feel that they were just for me. And so, um, you know, I wasn't writing a book about them or writing a blog about them, but I was writing them all down in, in journals and just even on scraps of paper or sticky notes as I felt like God was teaching me or revealing new aspects of his himself to me. And um, just about a little over a year and a half ago when I was pregnant with our son, I just kind of began to feel this nudge from him of, okay, now, now it's time to share these things. Like now you've had time kind of hidden away from the world, time to process these things and time to learn these things about me. And for that season, they were just for you, but now they're not just for you anymore. Like now it's time to share. And of course there was some trepidation that came with that. Like, Oh, really? Are you sure? I don't know. I don't know if I can do that again. Um, it's kind of a daunting process, but I I really just felt like he gave me the words to begin writing it. And I kind of felt like as I was writing it, I was relearning all these lessons he had taught me and relearning all these aspects of his character all over again. And so it was, um, I really loved writing this book. It was a really joyful process and it was a really spiritual process for me because I felt like he was, um, even as I wrote stories, he was revealing to me, even more of who he was in that time and even more of his goodness to us since then. And it was just, it was a really beautiful time of processing and of seeing you know, definitely his hand on our lives and definitely his faithfulness. So it was, it was difficult for sure, but I, it was really beautiful. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I, you know, I, I've, I've read it once, but I'm sure I'm going to go back through it many, many times. I'm So I'm 42 years old, um, and, and we've lived extremely different lives. You have, there, there's been so much fullness, you know, in, in all the highs and lows in your life in just 29 years. And I was so not at the place that you are when I was 29 years old, but I found that in my 40s and in the circumstances that friends and everything are going through, um, there's, it's, um, there's a lot more highs and lows at, at this age, a lot more um, mm -hmm. heartache and, and, and joy as well. Um, but I just love the truths that, that, that God revealed to you uh, in, the, in all the different things that you've experienced, all the, the highs and lows. And, and it really is just such an honor 
to talk with you today. And I feel almost inadequate to, to ask the questions, to pull the wisdom that I know God has just put so deep into you. And I'm just thankful that you could take some time to be with us today. Um, I would love for people to get, you know, so much more from you. Can you tell them where they can find your book, where they can get a copy of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the best place to connect is at www.amazima.org. That's A-M-A-Z-I-M-A.org. There'll be a link there where they can order the book from several different sellers, but there's also a link on there to my blog and to um, our ministry blog and different ministry opportunities. So any information would be up there. I love it. Um, you know, and just to everybody listening, I just feel like the, the way, not the way Katie has lived her life, but the way God has used Katie and the, the way the things that he's brought into her life are just such a testimony of just walking in surrender to him. And it just inspires me so much more just to wake up each day and be like, Jesus, what do you have for me today? And just, just walk throughout the day with open, open, um, an open heart and open eyes to see the needs of the people around us. And so I just challenge you, maybe as you're wrapping up this podcast, as you're about to hit pause or take your headphones out to really listen, to really look around and to, um, as you interact with people, listen and say, God, what do you have for this person that's right in front of me right now? How can I love on them? How can mm -hmm. I honor you today? How can I bring honor and glory to you in the way that I interact with people? And I absolutely highly encourage you to get both of Katie's books. They are so so deeply inspiring just to live. We don't have to live the life that maybe we feel like is laid out in front of us um, or that is expected of us. But if we follow Jesus, there's a wonderful and powerful adventure for us in a deeper relationship that, with Him than we can ever, ever imagine. So Katie, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. If you guys want any of the notes from today's episode, whether it's links to Katie's book or links to the Phil Wickham album that we both totally love, you can go to hellomornings.org forward slash podcast and get all the notes for today's show. We even kind of break down some of the main points that Katie shares and how we can incorporate those into our morning routines. So hellomornings.org forward slash podcast. Go and check that out. We also have tons of resources there for you, including that free chapter, but also prayer calendars and Bible studies and all kinds of great stuff. So I'd love for you to join us over at hellomornings.org. All right, well, that's it for today's episode of the podcast. My name is Kat Lee, and I hope we'll see you next time for another great episode of the Hello Mornings podcast. this time for you I bow before the throne of a noble king and in this place my heart begins to sing it's gonna be a good day a good day filled with his grace his grace and sweet God Day by Jen Stanbro. You can get your copy at iTunes, Amazon, or jenstanbro.com.